0: Greg, I'm guessing you saw this in the uh, team chat on Friday night, Saturday morning. It
1: was a message from Keith McMillan about our podcast. Did you see this? I did. I did see Keith McMillan chime in with some very positive feedback on ATN episode 308. Says a really great pod. Love the focus on
0: introducing new listeners to features and not talking over their heads. That's a big thing for me. Uh, recapping the offseason, mentioning the interviews. It got him uh, caught up and jazzed up for the season on the way to one of his uh, kids' softball tournaments in South Carolina. Frank Rossi was informative and concise. Good change of pace. I think that's a slam at Frank Rossi. Liked the format of going around the country and keeping the entire pod to about 38 minutes. Pat's song was wacky. I have had so many comments about... It's not wacky, it's Yakko. Wacko's a different Animaniac altogether. But I got... Text messages. We got tweets about that. I figured we were 308 podcasts into this thing. We were probably not going to lose all the listeners at this point, but I figured it was
1: worth a shot. It was. The the off-season recap, Animaniac style was well-received. So well-received. In fact, Pat, maybe uh, maybe we work something like that, a little Animaniac style song every week. Every week. I thought you were going to say, the beginning of every season because that
0: is manageable also kudos you got kudos for solid reference at the 2707
1: mark that of course is when you mentioned mcmillans and playing defense if there's a common thread through all 309 episodes of around the nation it's that mcmillans play and support and advocate for defense <laughs> football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts,
2: Matt Coleman.
0: You have a very forceful handshake, Mr. Coleman.
2: And Greg Thomas.
0: Thank you, Greg. That was interesting, too. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, the weekly podcast about the largest division of college football. We're recording this on the 15th anniversary of the very first around the nation podcast famously recorded at a bus stop in 10 minutes we've come a long way baby here as we bring you podcast number 309 it's the podcast for september 5th of 2022 i'm pat Ullman.
1: i'm the executive editor of this thing that we call d3football.com i'm greg thomas i write around the nation at d3football.com this is episode 309 309, Pat, also is the number of rush yards that Rochester's Daniel Papantonis gained in last night's New York State Tool Believe Bowl, a great uh, opening week game with a great cause. Had to squeeze that in. We had a
0: week of football. We had, you know, as have been talking about for most of the offseason, a first week in which we had an unexpectedly large game. It is not often you have a rematch or a matchup of top five teams. In the very first weekend of the season. We will talk about that. We'll talk about things going fully around the country. Regions 1 through 6. We'll give you what else? We've got Fast 5. Our Fast 5 conversation this week is with Kevin Bullis. I'm just going to say we called this the Tight 5 last year. It sounded funny at the time. We took it out on the road and workshopped it for an entire season and very quickly realized, oh, duh, Fast Five is the much better way to get across the exact same thing. The point being that we wanted a concise, quick interview as part of this podcast. I don't know why Fast Five didn't occur to me right away. Maybe it's because that movie is from 2011, but duh, of course, that's
1: what it should always have been. Revisionist history, revisionist history. Uh, yes, Fast Five works. I think the uh, the idea of the Tight Five was good, but kind of a niche reference, if you will. I uh, will be excited to hear from Kevin Bolus at the conclusion of this week's uh, probably number one top story game. Greg and I will also
0: each hand out our game balls, and we have changed up those categories a little bit, but we'll still have Stat of the Week, but we're also going to throw in some new things each week. It's not going to be the same six... Or seven categories. Well, they will be different categories that eventually will be the same. How about
1: that? I think the categories will be the same until they get tiresome, right? That sounds about right.
0: Big games, obviously, on Saturday. It seemed like in a lot of places we were talking about offenses that looked rusty i think no less so in the game that i was at the uh, st john's uw whitewater game uh won by st john's 24 to 10 st john's came into the game ranked number five they are now number four in the country whitewater slips down to six st john's question asked when was the last time st john's was number four in the country it was like Uh, literally just a little over a season ago was at the end of the 2019 season. Of course, when St. John's went to the national semifinals, lest people forget Aaron Severson back at quarterback and a big crowd on hand at Clemens Stadium in Collegeville, Minnesota. And let's just have Aaron Severson talking about the great crowd in Collegeville, Minnesota. 12,400 fans here today. How much do you guys feel that on the sidelines? Oh, a
1: ton. You can tell a difference when we're playing Whitewater or somebody else where we only get a couple thousand. I mean, it's it's a game changer. The fans, we're, the fans are great, and that means a lot for us as players. It's a good test, and we passed, and so I think going forward, I mean, there's no reason we shouldn't have confidence going every game. And I know we do as a program anyways, but having that notch in our belt, beating a really good team like Whitewater, I mean, going forward, that's huge. It's different. Um, We played Aurora last year. They were a good team as well. But, I mean, this one's different, right? And I think that's huge. It's not, you're not going to a week five matchup where you think, hey, we're playing a really good team. We haven't played many people. I mean, you start out the gate with a really good team and you can get a win. It's just a tone setter for the year. You can definitely feel that Johnny crowd. And St. John's can definitely feel the impact of having a healthy roster, right? They went into the postseason pretty banged up. Lost early to Linfield, and maybe what we got from St. John's at the end of last year wasn't quite representative. Um, Severson is back and healthy, and boom, St. John's knocks off the number four team in the division.
0: Severson on the day, 25 of 34 passing for 267 yards, three touchdowns. Big day for Alex Larson, the big tight end, big six, seven guy, nine catches for 84 yards and two scores. I think the health issue, having Severson back, is kind of one of the reasons why I had some optimism for St. John's this season, not only in my preseason top 25 ballot, but in the 20 questions this past week. The majority of the prognosticators actually picked St. John's going to the national semifinals. And if you didn't see that or any of the other preseason coverage that we put all out in a flurry on Thursday, go back and find that. Uh, It is still perfectly relevant in terms of a preview of what we think of this season in a, a big picture standpoint. So the Johnny's, you know, they lose a couple of pieces off the offensive line, they lose a couple of guys on defense. Wide receiver Robbie Alston. he had 3 catches for 48 yards and a touchdown on Saturday, but he had them for Montana State, the D1 FCS school. He's a grad transfer there. But otherwise, you know, St. John's really has a lot of the pieces.
1: They do. And you you mentioned Severson's uh final line 25 34 269 3 touchdowns. That's a pretty efficient stat line against a great defense that Whitewater always has. And the Johnnies really needed that kind of performance from their quarterback as they were limited to just 11 rush yards.
0: Yeah, that's what we didn't see from St. John's on Saturday. We didn't see a lot of Henry Trost, the running back. Now, you don't really generally get a lot of ground game when you're going up against UW-Whitewater and uh, Trost 21 yards on 12 carries, but they didn't really need the running game on Saturday But, you know, something they will need at some point in order to make a deep playoff run. On the Whitewater side, there's so, so many questions. We will ask some of them of Kevin Bullis, and then we'll talk a little bit more about Whitewater after that. Of course, this isn't the only game that the nation writ large should have had their eyes on on Saturday. Greg, tell us a little bit about that game that the defending champs played Saturday night.
1: Yeah, down in Belton, we had a former number 11, Muhlenberg. They had a decent start to their game against number one, Mary Harden-Baylor, and, and they even held a 7-6 to six lead after a couple of series. Uh, but the Crusader offense, led by Kyle King, they just overwhelmed Muhlenberg. This game was 41-13 to 13 at halftime, and UMHB cruised to a 62-13 to 13 victory in the second half. The crew rolled up 379 passing yards, 295 rushing yards, Kyle King threw for six touchdowns, two of those. To Brandon Jordan, who is back for the crew. K.J. Miller, he's also back. He caught one touchdown, ran for another. There are a lot more names back from last year's title-winning team than many people may realize. This team really wasn't distinguishable uh, for me from the team that steamrolled their way through Linfield, Whitewater, and North Central in the last three rounds of the 2021 tournament. And it's hard for me to have watched that team on Saturday night and come away thinking anything other than UMHB right now is the, is the standard in division three. I had half a thought on Sunday afternoon is like, is
0: Mary Harden Baylor head shoulders above everybody else? Or, you know, might someone still challenge them come December? Because right now it doesn't really look like it. And when I say head and shoulders, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about Brandon Jordan. He had one of those touchdowns on Saturday night where again, he's just, so much bigger than anybody defending him, including the Muhlenberg secondary.
1: Yeah, and Kyle King has a couple of those guys this year, right? Brandon Jordan is a guy that he he can just throw it up to. You throw it high enough that only Brandon Jordan can get to it. Will McClintock is another guy that they have who just has uh incredible uh, wingspan, a huge catch radius they were talking about on the broadcast. Kyle King can just sort of throw it up in a spot that nobody else can get it, and that is that's a skill that he's very good at. He developed that really well last year uh knowing how to use that size advantage that he has at those positions to get big plays and get touchdowns is really useful in the red zone for them. They've got plenty of athletes, size, speed all over the place and what we saw with their offense sort of cranking it up a gear in that quarterfinal game against Linfield last year, they're still in that gear. They're still I mean, 679 yards of total offense against a Muhlenberg defense that is pretty good. That defense is going to have a good year. That's a monster number against a really quality opponent.
0: My low-key favorite moment from that game is on uh, one of the K.J. Miller touchdowns. I don't remember if it was the, the sweep end around or if it was the pass, but Kyle King as quarterback is running full tilt down the field down the right sideline to try to throw the last block inside the five yard line and got so close to actually doing it. Turned out Miller, you know, didn't need the help, but King was so close to being right there to do it.
1: Well, I think that's indicative of how they get to have the kind of success that they had in that step that they took. I think last year is that they're, they're doing those, the little things. They're not taking any of it for granted. And Kyle King leader of that team out there throwing blocks for KJ Miller in a spot where KJ Miller probably doesn't need the help. But that that he's out there doing it, sacrificing himself in that spot shows they're they're just as hungry and just as uh, driven to succeed and and run it back this year. At some point, I can see Coach Harmon
0: telling Kyle King, "Maybe we don't have to do that in a game that you're already up by five touchdowns." But that's that's another story. Maybe the quarterback doesn't have to sacrifice his body, but uh, we'll see how this goes on. It and you know, it's just what's going on this season is now you're not going to take anybody by surprise. King and the offense kind of burst on the map in those latter playoff rounds last year. This year, everybody knows it's coming. So far, still happening. Also in week one, one of the things that I often look for is sometimes those opening kickoffs can be a bit of an adventure, right? Special teams play isn't always something that goes at 100% in practice. You don't want to get guys hurt, maybe not even in the scrimmage, and it might not be until you get that first opening kickoff of the season that you might get something legit guys might actually have to go out and make those stops, that sort of thing. And I, I saw specifically, of course, that uh, Ithaca started its season uh, with a 96 yard kickoff return by Deideta. Uh, I was looking for others and I don't know that I saw others of those, but interesting special teams play from Saturday.
1: Sure. That's a big win for Ithaca to open their season. The first win for coach uh, Michael Turper. Other uh, fun special teams plays that I noticed throughout the day, Brandon Jordan blocked a punt because, you know, being an unguardable wide receiver isn't enough. They've got him on special teams now chasing, chasing down punters. RJ Massey and Tyreek Rollins, they each returned punts for touchdowns for William Patterson to fuel their 28 to seven win over Western Connecticut. And Marietta blocked two kicks in their 14 to 13 win over Dubuque more about that a little bit later on
0: now's the time of the podcast where we would be talking about a sponsor or in this case also talking about the people who helped make this podcast and a lot of the d3sports.com sites help a lot of the d3sports.com sites run especially during the offseason Before we get into the regular season like we are now And that is our supporters using the Patreon service Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N Is a service that people can use In order to essentially subscribe to a content producer Or a creative person or a creative team In this case, really specifically about the podcast Or about d3sports.com in general People give a dollar amount from anywhere from $3 $3 up to $50 a month in order to support and make d3sports.com happen year round and not just here in the football season when the traffic is at its highest.
1: That's right. We thank all of our Patreon subscribers. And now that we're in the thick of it, we've been talking about it for a couple of weeks, but now we're into the, the weekly cycle of content. We're going to have a feature column this week coming around the nation, coming this week, quick hits again this week, and then scoreboard on saturday and the patreon uh the patreon support helps make sure that our scoreboard is functional and and uh being manned and updated throughout the day to keep all of your scores updated and refreshed throughout saturday as functional as our website host will allow it to be at least
0: anyway let's say that uh you reminded me that i need to still assign out a, a feature story assigned one of them out on saturday night so need to get uh, people working on that but you can help us here support and make d3sports.com websites happen by going to patreon.com d3 sports or if you want to give us a one-time donation and help us out that way you can go to d3sports.com slash help
2: all met, we all
0: met, we all met. Now joined by Kevin Bullis after his team lost at St. John's on Saturday 24 to 10. I mean, first of all, coach, uh, I heard you talking to your players after the game, right? The if the if one of the key um, goals for you guys is to win the, the Wyack, nothing today changes any of that.
2: No, it, the non-conference has always been about preparation for our conference season. Um, We're playing a great conference and um We've learned a lot about ourselves today, and and when you play a very good team like St. John's, that's what's going to happen. You're going to find out where your strengths are. You're going to find out where your weaknesses are, and we knew that coming into this game, and and those guys knew that. Obviously, we made a lot of mistakes. We made a lot of
0: mistakes. Yeah. You're not always going to get the kind of preparation for a YX schedule like you did today.
2: Well, I mean, it's, it's you know, ultimately, I mean, when you look at this game, you know, to me, the thing you look at is turning the ball over, bad snaps, right. um, special teams making some ba- a bad snap as well. Yep. I mean, missed opportunity with, field I mean, th- those are the things we, right. we, we um, St. John's didn't cause those, we did. And yeah. ultimately, that's the stuff we got to get corrected.
0: Right, those are the obvious things, right? And then I assume on the maybe even on the bus on the way home, someone's gonna be breaking down film and looking at the less obvious stuff. Those are the things
2: that all of us in the stands and the press box can see. It's then the, the rest of the stuff too as well, right? Not a question, it's the missed, uh, missed assignments, it's the missed blocks, it's the missed tackles. I mean, that's the stuff that the coaches will be analyzing on our iPads on the way home. All right, so you knew
0: this when you came to schedule this game, right? There was an opportunity. This game and the next game, right? Okay. The, a chance, right? If you're facing two of the top five teams in the country, that you don't go 2-0, let's say that way, maybe not even go 1-1. So what, is the, what does this do to the, the psyche, I guess, for lack of a better term, of the next couple of weeks for you guys?
2: Well, that's and that's my point to what I was saying to the guys. Uh, win or lose this game, it's still all about the fixes because our, our, our goal of the season is to win the WIAC. That yep. is our goal, and that has not changed at all if anything what we see on film today is going to prepare us to chase that goal all
0: right i gotta ask about tamir thomas right he didn't play at all in the first half had a great first drive out in the second half and then i think you rotated in one of your previous guys brought him back out was he not available was he not uh was he sitting out the first half what was he kind of kept under wraps and then boom he exploded
2: i mean that's tamir i mean he's a young guy that you know last year as a freshman got some snaps here and there, and was really explosive, and and, uh, he took advantage of his snaps. And that's ultimately what you're looking for, um, is of your tailbacks, who's gonna take advantage of them. And he definitely caught our attention again. Caught a lot of people's attention
0: been a lot of talk this offseason about the big games that are scheduled here the first couple weeks of the season. You guys have two of them. Mary Harden Baylor has a couple of them. St. John's has one. And you guys are not alone, right? There's a lot of teams kind of maybe stepping out of comfort zones. And that's more, I think, to play you guys or to play Mary Harden Baylor. You guys, I think, have always been out there to take whoever you can get. Um, But i got to ask the obvious question. I'm sure I know the answer, but do you regret any of that at this point, having come out with an L to start it off?
2: No, again, um, if I did regret it, then it would be inconsistent with what our goal is, and our goal is to win the WIC Conference Championship. It comes down to at the end of, you know, really kind of last spring, you know, we're looking for games. St. John's is looking for games. Mary Harden-Baylor is looking for games. And in the end, not a lot of people want to play us. And so these kids work so hard all year round to play 10 games. And so to pass on a game because you don't want to play somebody, that's ridiculous. That that is not true to the sport. That's not true to the philosophy of what we believe in the games. Give your kids an opportunity to play the game that they've worked so hard to play. So there's no regret.
0: Uh, Meanwhile, looks like the run defense was as stout today as usual. He held a pretty good running back basically completely in check and I, I don't know how many times they even attempted to run the ball uh, in the second half um, and then we saw Lewandowski really get a first kind of extended look for you guys you know in in a starting role what do you think of uh, of those two factors today
2: you know the run defense I mean that's something we take a lot of pride in you know that Pat and and uh, but we gave up some long passes and that's something that's the other thing we take pride in is not giving up long passes and we did that today so I mean and, evan no doubt i mean i'll leave that to coach Pesik, um our quarterback coach and offensive coordinator uh, evan's obviously an explosive player a uh, fantastic quarterback but there's no doubt he made his errors today we all made our errors today i made my errors today and and it's all about getting those fixed and and ready for next week
0: thanks to kevin bullis for coming back out of the locker room talking to me on saturday a thumbnail sketch for the warhawks for those at home whitewater new quarterback new starting running back, new offensive coordinator, bunch of new offensive linemen. That's a lot for the Warhawks to figure out just on that side of the ball alone, not to mention shotgun snaps and long snaps. They gave up four points on Saturday just in that regard. The margin between a nine and one Warhawks that are a top five team and a six and four Warhawks that are
1: third in the WIAC, possibly still ranked, is pretty thin. It is, and you know, Whitewater didn't really give themselves a lot of time to settle in with all of those changes. The champs are coming up to the Perk this weekend where Whitewater's margin for error is probably less than it was this weekend. Then they're going to take a trip down to Georgia. They're going to play Barry before opening Wyack play at lacrosse. And the War are really good. They got to find their footing here pretty quickly because those Wyack opponents are not going to be any more forgiving than St. John.
2: Game ball. Game ball. Game ball. Game ball game
0: balls it's time for game balls and my game ball is going to J.J. Lapp Lapp set the Empire 8 record for receiving yardage with 312 yards receiving on Saturday in uh, Cortland's 48 to 28 win against Wittenberg that's uh, 312 yards I'm sure you're thinking on like 17 catches this is nine receptions for 312 yards and two touchdowns the previous record uh, for receiving yards in a single game in an Empire 8 game was by Jack Phelan of Hartwick. That guy was an All-American, and he did it against Mount Ida in 2008. This is against, I mean, Mount Ida as a school has closed, so maybe it's okay for me to say this is against an established, solid Division Three football program. That win against Wittenberg, J.J. Lapp. Gets my game ball, and in no small part because of Zach Boys, 22 of 30 passing for 543 yards and four touchdowns at quarterback for the Red Dragons.
1: I'm going to go with defense, Pat. And my game ball goes to Marietta's Drake Newberger, a 2021 second team All American defensive end. Newberger tallied a game high 13 tackles, which included five quarterback sacks and 6.5 tackles for loss. Newberger also blocked a 22 yard field goal attempt in the first quarter, a pivotal play. In Marietta's 14 to 13 win over Dubuque,
0: and I gotta say, Newberger should have been on our preseason All-America team. Did not know that Newberger was back, and I and I tell you, Greg, I went through so many school websites to figure out which of last year's seniors were back, and I swear I went through the Marietta roster multiple times to look for both of their guys who were big uh, defensive studs last year. And Newberger's back. Newberger obviously would be a uh, prime uh would have been a prime candidate for our preseason all-america team if i had known that so mea culpa mea culpa mea maxima culpa yeah all my catholic friends are uh, loving that i am sure our best note from before saturday we don't always have a lot of thursday and friday night games but we did this week and i wanted to spotlight some of that and that includes Nichols rallying from a 17 point second half deficit to win at Westfield State, Westfield led twenty to three at the half. Nichols fumbled a couple of times, and uh, Westfield had a big ninety-yard scoop and score by Baird Henderson. Westfield then went up twenty-seven to ten, but then Nichols scored the final three touchdowns, interrupted only by a uh, Westfield blocked extra point return. Nichols rally from that deficit and win at Westfield State thirty
1: to twenty-nine. And my best non-Saturday note. Uh, is going to come out of Pittsburgh, where the Ryan Larson era at Carnegie Mellon got off to a strong start with the Tartans 35-17 win over Whitworth. Carnegie Mellon, they showed a balanced offense with Ben Mills throwing for 354 yards, wide receiver Chris Hughes scoring on a 99-yard pass play, and Trey Vasilatis adding 152 rushing yards. The Tartans, they also held Whitworth to minus three rushing yards for the game, so strong defense out of the Tartans as well. Pretty complete game for the Tartans, and they definitely look like a team in good shape to defend their pack championship. Here's what that 99-yard pass play sounded like.
0: Under 10 minutes or 10 seconds on the play clock. Fake the handoff. Quick pass. It's Chris Hughes who breaks away from the tackler and has open space up over midfield. He will
2: go all the way for his second touchdown of the evening. No flags. No flags. 99 and a half
1: yards to the end zone so I stand corrected I said they would need all of that about seven minutes it did in about 12 seconds and that was Chris Hughes who evaded the defender It was a one-on-one matchup they left their best wide receiver you know with the with the cornerback that has been beat all game long Hughes Did not get slowed down. It looked like maybe a face mask on the defense. Tried to slow him down. They couldn't, and Hughes separated with his speed. What a fantastic game for him so far.
0: One more thing from Friday night that I enjoyed was Concordia Moorhead's fourth quarter at Valley City State. So the Cobbers had less than 100 yards of total offense headed into that quarter, but nonetheless put together two scoring drives, rolled up 170 of their 250-some yards in that quarter and went on to win I should note uh, also with some uh, defensive dramatics a blocked field goal at the gun a two point conversion attempt that was stopped on defense anyway this win super impressive against an NAIA school that won eight games last year and had already played a game this season so yay Cobbers for Division 3 that's not my stat
1: also not gonna be my stat not my stat that may be the most
0: incredible stat lots of things are not my stat not greg's stat either but this is my stat of the week these stats are drawn from the 93 box scores that were submitted to or posted on d3football.com by schools for the 111 games which took place this weekend that's not my stat my actual stat is something that didn't happen and that's in the lake forest wisconsin lutheran game where aj jackson had minus three return yards you know jackson He and K.J. Miller, we've mentioned K.J. Miller, like the two most decorated return men in D3 right now. And Wisconsin Lutheran punted a lot and they kicked off twice, but they pulled this off by kicking onside on both of their kickoffs, and uh, Lake Forest blocked one of the punts, and Jackson did have a 37-yard punt return called back because of a block in the back. I would tell you to go look at the return um, video and decide for yourself if that's the right call, but no, video archive not available to be reviewed. What we do know is Jackson got subbed out in the fourth quarter of this 42-7 blowout, but that, I guess, is how you keep A.J. Jackson from rolling up big return yards
1: on you. Wisconsin Lutheran clearly sacrificed a lot of other things to make sure A.J. Jackson wasn't touching the ball. So affecting the game, even if he wasn't getting kicked to. He scored two touchdowns uh, on scrimmage plays, for example. A lot of things are also not my stat, including Leon Johnson the third. He caught just four passes for George Fox, but he made them count. It's three of them went for touchdowns, including a 78-yard score that put the Bruins up for good in their 38-31 win at Redlands. But that is not my stat. Saturday night's win marks the first time that George Fox has opened the season with a win since the program's revival in 2014, snapping a streak of eight consecutive season opening losses. That's another step forward for a program that finished uh, 2021 with a 6-1 Northwest Conference record, and that is my stat of the week.
0: Also, George Fox 1-0 this season when the temperature at game time is 97 degrees. I'm a real wild Wild one. What's fun in the one? We did this on last week's podcast. We'll continue this for a little while. While it's still fun, fun in the one region one for me is a second time. We're talking about rallying from a 20 to three deficit to win this time. It was Catholic. U after falling behind 20 to three at the half Catholic roared back with 34 consecutive points, propelling the Cardinals to a 37 to 27 win at McDaniel. Yeah. Catholic is in the one in Washington, D.C. for this final year that they're still a member of the new Mac before the landmark conference starts its football program and then they'll probably end up in the two or the three or they could still be in the one i don't know they won't be in the three
1: the return of michael nobile was fun for delaware valley on saturday nobile recorded two sacks and three hurries as the aggies limited westminster to just 157 yards of total offense in delaware valley's 22 to 8 win Greg, what's new in the two? How about the NJAC crushing it? That's new for 2022. In 2021, the NJAC, they won just eight non-conference games total. In week one, the NJAC went six and one. The most impressive results belong to Rowan with a 42 to 20 win over Widener and Christopher Newport, who won at Washington and Lee nine to three, where three Ryan Castle field goals were more than enough points for the captains. Rowan getting a
0: vote in the top 25 I did not go through all the top 25s for the last uh we started this in 2003 to find out when the last time was that Rowan received a vote uh the person who voted for Rowan texted me and said hey if you think this is a bad idea I could be talked out of it and I'm like I don't usually talk people out of votes and I think too you know I mean Rowan went on and just handled uh, handled Widener. That's impressive. I'm not offended by someone putting Rowan number 25 on their ballot right now. It's for me, you know, looking at what's new in the two. How about that game Johns Hopkins had? Or maybe we should talk more about that later. Why don't we do that? Steps, 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 door door. What do you see in the three? In the three, I see all three top ten Texas teams making huge statements putting up huge scores to open the season and starting off with three big victories. We, of course, talked about Mary Harden Baylor defeating Muhlenberg 62 to 13. Harden Simmons is the only time we're going to mention it, but they just crushed Wayland Baptist 79 to 14. Trinity, Texas, also a huge game on Saturday night after having to wait around for an extra, I don't know, hour, hour and a half. Before they could get started, then just methodically dismantled. Sol Ross stayed 55-7. to I think if you had any doubts about someone in of, of those three Texas teams this year, maybe it was going to be Trinity, right? Trinity's 2021 resume is based on playing Mary Harden Baylor really well in the playoffs. And that doesn't always necessarily translate to something. But another good start. Obviously, Sol Ross overmatched. But the OC in Texas... So far, with its three top 10 teams all putting up top 10
1: type wins. Trinity did win the SAA last year. I don't, I think it's not entirely uh, the UMHB result, but certainly uh, a big part of where they're ranked currently. Uh, for me in the three, I saw week one as being a pretty significant struggle for the USA South with just one win coming out of that conference. That win came from brand-new USA South member Haven on Thursday night. Maryville lost in the last 30 seconds to Barry. Huntington came up just short against Linfield. Uh, those are two results that could have flipped the narrative a bit for the USA South. But, alas, 1-6 out of the USA South in Week 1.
0: Kind of a crazy game, kind of a crazy night at, uh, in, in Alabama, right? Did not expect Linfield to give up that many points.
1: No, I mean we saw this last year Huntington, not the same score but UW Oshkosh went down to Montgomery to play Huntington last year. That was a good game, a close game. Huntington had a chance at the end of that one as well. This one a lot more big plays out of Huntington. Linfield did did give up quite a bit of yardage uh deep in the secondary, but you know they they were able to hold off the Hawks and you know we'll see how the Hawks bounce back next week in their rivalry game against Birmingham Southern. Last year the bounce back didn't work out quite so well for the Hawks.
2: It's what to four by fours four.
1: Greg, what's the score in the four? It was a pretty good weekend for the MIAA. Hope stormed back from 17 down to defeat Aurora thirty-eight thirty-four. I think that's the third mention of a team winning after being seventeen points down in the second quarter or the second half in this podcast. Albion wiped out Carthage 52-0, Olivet scored late to knock off Franklin, but maybe the most surprising result came out of Ada, Ohio, where Alma knocked off Ohio Northern 16-13 in overtime. Adrian was the only MIAA team to lose, falling to nationally ranked Heidelberg 31-0. Yeah,
0: tough week for the OAC. We should talk about that in this podcast as well. But my score in the four comes from the Rose Holman depauw game. This is a rematch of last year's playoff game, a game which DePaw won 26-21. This one was similar. 17 14 DePaw win. The Tigers scored the last two touchdowns after the Fighting Engineers took a 14 3 lead. Mambo Looking alive in the five, I'll start with Rockford in a knack which is eminently winnable. Rockford got a preseason number one vote in the conference coaches poll. Now, okay, Beloit is not exactly a world beater as an opponent, but the regions looked positively regal in a forty-one to fourteen win against their local rival. I mean, they're basically right across the Illinois border from each other. That win includes a team total of thirty-five for thirty-eight passing. Jalen Ray, he's the starting quarterback for Rockford. He turned a lot of heads last year. And on Saturday, pretty similar, 32-35 passing, 462 yards and four touchdowns, uh, including 11 different guys catching a pass on Saturday. Keep an eye out on that big conference showdown on September 24th. You know the one I mean. It's Aurora at Rockford.
1: I see what you did there. Some of the heavy hitters in the five don't get started until this coming week, but the top of the American Rivers Conference had a good weekend. Central looked solid in their 44-13 win over St. Olaf, Not much hangover in game one post Blaine Hawkins. Cohead no trouble with Cornell, and Wartburg caught their third wind at about midnight local time to run away from Monmouth 34 to 7. Wartburg and Monmouth, of course, delayed by about three hours due to weather in the area. Six feet, six, six feet, six, six feet. So what's in the mix in the six? Despite Whitewater's loss on Saturday, the remaining contenders in the Wyack all started their campaigns with emphatic statements. La Crosse took out NAIA Dakota State 42 to 7. Oshkosh dominated East Texas Baptist 56 to 13. And River Falls picked up right where they left off in 2021, defeating Elmhurst 63 to 0. All right. So
0: we've talked about a couple of these things, a couple of these conferences that had it pretty bad on Saturday, and I want to talk about who had it worse, the OAC or the USA South, neither of which performed up to uh, the standards I think we would come to expect of them.
1: No, I think if I had to pick who had it worse, I think probably the OAC, even though they did have a better record overall on the day, I think the later impacts of the OAC's results will matter more down the road. I didn't see any games in the USA South that they should have won or would have been expected to win and didn't. I think they had a couple of shots there with Maryville almost uh, upsetting Barry and Huntington almost upsetting Linfield. Um, but the only, I mean, the only result out of the USA South that I think w- was really unexpected might have been Southern Virginia losing to Wilmington. The OAC on the other hand, Baldwin Wallace losing to Mount St. Joseph and John Carroll losing to Washington Jefferson. Those are results that, um, really kind of take those teams out of pool C, barring a, a win against Mount Union in league play. I
0: think I might throw Methodist losing to Shenandoah in that list as well. That's a home game for Methodist. Methodist was 7-2 and two last year. Methodist did lose to Shenandoah last year as well, so maybe I shouldn't be so surprised. And, of course, the USA South lost Averett entirely
1: to the ODAC this year, which made it a little more difficult for them as well. It did. I think Me- Methodist had a good spring 2020 season the mini season that we did in the spring but um they slipped back a little bit last year and then fell you know in week one to Shenandoah again this year how about overrated and underrated
0: we've talked about the poll in terms of rising and falling teams rising and falling but I'm just going to come out and say overrated team right now RPI RPI I could not drop them off my ballot this week because I didn't have them on my ballot in the first place. But uh, this is a team that right now in the post-George Marinopoulos era has to prove something to me at the very least and presumably to a number of our other voters. And winning at home against Dickinson 14-7 to on Saturday is not the sort of thing that's going to move the needle for them. 8-26 of 26 passing as a team, really good defensively, but against a team in Dickinson that last year had one of the better years that it's had in some time, and even so was only four and six. I just think that uh, RPI will know more (laughs) against uh, Carnegie Mellon. RPI and Carnegie Mellon, at the very least, should be switching spots in the poll, and RPI should be on the outside looking in, and Carnegie Mellon probably comfortably in that bottom part of the top
1: 25. My team that is overrated is Baldwin-Wallace. I had Baldwin-Wallace ranked 17th in my preseason poll, and I thought that the Jackets would be the team most likely to post a 9-1 record from the OAC. That dissolved thanks to Cornell Beecham and Josh Taylor and the rest of the Mount St. Joseph Lions and Baldwin Wallace this week tumbled right on out of my top 25. On the underrated side, I think my pick has got
0: to be Johns Hopkins. Johns Hopkins, of course, went up to Cleveland and just demolished Case Western Reserve 54-14. to Case in the past has started its regular season off with the University of Rochester, and uh, made a significant step up in strength of schedule this year to take on a team that was uh, number 10 in our preseason poll. And, you know, Case also had this, you know, this look on offense that people were raving about from a scrimmage with John Carroll. And it's like, we could put four quarterbacks on the field. And of course, four guys did throw passes for Case Western Reserve on Saturday, but You can't put four guys together and equal what Ryan Stevens can do just by himself for Johns Hopkins, where he was 27 of 34 passing, five touchdown passes, 314 yards passing, and then the guy off the bench for Johns Hopkins threw for another 70 yards and a score themselves. I think that Johns Hopkins, when uh, push comes to shove, even at number 10, is a little bit underrated. I would be looking to see, you know, how Wheaton looks here in the early season. They have a tough schedule playing at uh, Trinity this week. They have North Central coming up in a couple of weeks as well. I think that Johns Hopkins has some opportunity to move up the the poll and probably should be moving up the poll. They do. You know what they
1: say, Pat, if you have four quarterbacks, you have four quarterbacks. <laughs> My underrated team is UW Oshkosh. It was hard for me not to be impressed by the way uh, the Titans put up 52 points on the board against East Texas Baptist. Maybe worth reminding our listeners that the new head coach at Oshkosh, Peter Jennings, was most recently the offensive coordinator at UW-Whitewater, which is a fun note in light of Saturday's uh, results. Peter Jennings, of course, also a guest
0: on this podcast in those halcyon days. Of podcast number 304 Our off-season podcast guests had a pretty good week one <laughs> They did have a pretty good week one I'm surprised that you didn't drop a, a podcast number on Michael Turper or on Ryan Larson I just figured you were going to go straight into that Your
1: categories have become tiresome You've got mail Tiresome
0: That was the time of the podcast where we go to Twitter. That's a category we kept. It's a time where, uh, you know, you guys get an opportunity to ask us a question and we will take it on the air. And here (laughs) there are so many. Anytime, I'm going to be honest with you, Greg, anytime St. John's does anything that it brings out the craziest questions on Twitter. And I'm going to go with this one, which is from a guy who has named him themselves Drink and Know Things. And I don't know how many drinks were had before sending this tweet. It's from at CL 1974. mn If St. John's wins its next two games, is that enough to slot in at number one or do they first have to cure cancer?
1: I appreciate the drink and no things reference. We, uh, it is, it is, we are recording this in advance of, uh, house of the dragon tonight. (laughs) Uh, the game of Thrones property, obviously. Um, If they win their next two games, the next two games for St. John's are River Falls and Bethel. River Falls and Bethel. Ooh, I mean that's about as good as you can do in your first three games. Is that enough to get up to number one? No, because UMHB could have could be the number eleven team in the country, sixty-two to thirteen. And then they could go up to Wisconsin Whitewater and we're going to have a common opponent result. Isn't that fun? Uh, They could win that game. And with those two results, and I'm not sure exactly off the top of my head who UMHB plays in their third game. But, like, I mean, we're in a situation right now, Pat, where if UMHB keeps winning games, they're going to continue to be number one. They consolidated all 25 first place votes this week. And those first place votes aren't going anywhere until they lose a game. The same week
0: that St. John's plays at Bethel is when Mary Harden Baylor plays at Harden Simmons. So you are not going to get anywhere by suggesting that St. John's has a harder schedule uh, through September 24th than Mary Harden Baylor does. Listen, man, Mary Harden Baylor the defending national champs. They have a lot of people back. They just abolished a top 11 team. But seriously, so I thought about this myself too. I thought about this on my ballot this week. Where am I going to slot St. John's? And of course, uh, I actually was already slotting St. John's ahead of UW Whitewater, so that was uh, that was not a change for me. I thought long and hard about St. John's against Mount Union. You know, the data just isn't there, right? Uh, I think Mount Union is pretty effing good this year, and they're pretty effing good almost all the always. Man, St. John's, to me, doesn't have to cure cancer, but you got to beat Mary Harden-Baylor or, or Mount Union or have those guys lose a game for St. John's to get ahead of them. It's not that St. John's hasn't necessarily topped out because those teams could lose, North Central could lose to Wheaton. There's some spots for St. John's to go. But this is an amazing spot considering St. John's season last year where they lost a little early in the playoffs. We talked, uh, if you rewind back, a good 25 minutes or so. We talked very glowingly about St. John's and why we thought they had really good chances this year. Let's not get too greedy, I guess is what I'm trying to say.
1: Yeah, we still, we need to get some, some real data on Mount union. Uh, You learn nothing from them hosting defiance in week one. North central hasn't played yet. Let's see. Let's see how they look uh, in the next couple of weeks. And yeah, I mean, St. John's, I would be excited to were were my team to have just beaten Wisconsin Whitewater. But the way that these top of the tippy-top teams have scheduled this year, it takes more than just that one win to snatch away votes from one of the more dominant number one teams that we've seen in a while. If you have questions for us, legitimate or, you
0: know, having a little bit too much day drinking on a Sunday afternoon. You can do that by tweeting at us at D three football or throwing the D three FB hashtag on it. And we will consider it for inclusion in one of these future podcasts. Games to watch for next week. I'm just going to go ahead and put the obvious one out there. I don't know if you have heard, but next week top ranked Mary Harden Baylor is going to Whitewater, Wisconsin to play checks notes. Number six, UW Whitewater. I will be there I was just at a game that had 12,462 fans in it and was the 20th most attended game in recorded Division Three history. I expect this one to firmly land somewhere in the top five to seven, if not maybe the most attended game ever held on a D3 campus. That is my game to watch. I feel like we've talked a little bit about this game already, but... If you are UW Whitewater, you go and correct all of those things that uh, not only Kevin Bullis talked about, but that their coaches saw on the iPads on the way home. And if you're Mary Harden Baylor, I keep doing what you're doing, I think, seems to be pretty good. I mean, you think about the last time Mary Harden Baylor went to Whitewater. It was, you know, a grand three games ago, right? Or the third game back for, uh, for Mary Harden Baylor we are going to look offensively a lot different because uh, a lot of those players are different. But, uh, boy, Whitewater's got to eliminate the self-inflicted stuff. And then we'll uh, figure it out from there.
1: Yeah, Whitewater's last three games after this weekend will have been hosting Mary Harden Baylor at at St. John's, hosting Mary Harden Baylor. <laughs> That's a lot. That's a lot, Greg. It is. About- and that is... Uh, one of several games that I'm going to be watching this weekend. Another one was going to be Wheaton traveling down to San Antonio to take on Trinity. This game is a change of pace for Wheaton as they have sort of historically played their non-conference games close to home and with substantially less quality on the other side. Uh, Wheaton had a ton of fifth year and sixth year guys last year. So we'll see a lot of new faces for the Thunder, particularly on defense, Trinity uh, rolled over Sol Ross State 55 to 7 in their weather delayed game this weekend. Trinity was the last team to seriously challenge Mary Harden Baylor in the first round of last year's tournament. And our poll has set pretty high expectations for Trinity. I think these games, I think these teams are ranked number eight and number nine going into uh, this weekend's game. So a pair of top 10 matchups this week. Very fun. Uh, This region three versus region five matchup should be on. All of our listeners screens somewhere Saturday night. I haven't gotten
0: rid of on the spot. I'm putting you on the spot. All right. So it's week two of the division three football season. I always like to, when I'm taking a trip to see a game, see what else I can see in the same area. So I'm headed out um, flying from here to Milwaukee on Saturday morning and making the uh, relatively short drive to Whitewater for that aforementioned Mary Harden-Baylor-UW Whitewater game. And then in the evening, I'm going to see Carol take on Wisconsin Lutheran at the uh, future home of the Cousins Lakefront Bowl. And my question to you, Greg, which game will be closer?
1: You know, I think I have a feeling that UMHB is just an absolute freight train. And I think that there's a lot of stuff that Whitewater has to fix and maybe not enough time to fix it before umhb shows up this week i'm gonna say Carolyn wisconsin lutheran is going to be a closer game than number one versus number six that is a that is a wild prediction it's wild but i think defensible you just defended it and we'll see
0: saturday by saturday evening how that turns out all right pat i am
1: putting you on the spot now it's your turn We've got a couple of teams in Division three this year that changed mascots over the over the off season. I want you to uh, tell me how those teams are gonna do in
0: week two. This is a good question. This is a really good question. So just the ones that changed names over the off season or do we include everybody who changed the names since the last football season? Since the last football season. All right, so I think I count three I believe I count Crown, Kenyon, and Western Connecticut. Did I miss anybody? I think that's all of them. All right. Western Connecticut goes to Albright for a uh, mid-afternoon game on the 10th. This is a really interesting game because, uh, you know, Western Connecticut, you mentioned, lost uh, at William Patterson this past Saturday, 28-7, thanks in no small part to those two punt returns for a touchdown. Albright I mean, they played Salisbury. I don't know if I can learn anything about how good Albright is by uh, seeing them get absolutely destroyed by uh, Salisbury. So I think I am going to take the artist formerly known as Colonial over the Lions of Albright. Kenyon at Kalamazoo is another one that's going to be kind of a tricky one. This is a really interesting game, Uh, Kalamazoo. Beat Oberlin on Saturday by a score of 21 to 14. That is usually a pretty good proxy for how someone is going to play Kenyon. Kenyon on Saturday. The Owls, formerly known as Lords, they are going to lose at Kalamazoo. I'm going to take Hornets over Owls. And I am left with Crown and Carlton. And that's the easiest pick for me. Crown goes to Carlton. And, and Crown, of course, formerly known as Storm. Now the Polars are going to get frozen out by the knights of carlton and so i'm taking uh i'm taking carlton to beat crown is that really everybody i think that's all of them that's a lot of fun i like that and you will learn from next week's podcast how well we spotted up right there this was the d3 football.com around the Nation podcast number 309 released on september 5th of 2022 thanks for listening and keep an eye out for continuing coverage throughout this season throughout this week throughout the rest of time not the rest of time at some point you know we will something will go away I don't know it could be the NCAA for all we know that's a whole other story with five different podcasts that Dave McHugh will probably uh, just have a bunch of uh, people from various schools to talk about and not me or Greg you can support production of this podcast and the D3Sports.com family of websites in general by visiting patreon.com slash D3Sports if you can't afford to support us in a financial way You can help us out by telling a friend, a classmate, fellow alum about the show. Talk about it at your tailgate. Get Keith McMillan to send us nice chats in our uh, team chat. That's really nice. You can also rate and review us in the various places where people rate and review podcasts. Greg, I mentioned before that uh, this is literally the 15th anniversary of the first podcast that we ever put out the door. And I posted about it on Facebook. It seemed important enough to do that back in September of 2000 and literal seven. Got a message that day from Brandon Danis. He's a Huntington alum and said, hey, just listen to the ATN podcast. I think it's great. Keep up all the good work. That was our first positive review back on September 4th of 2007. Other people can do the same on the podcast provider of their choice. You can reach us to talk more about Divinity Football you can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football. Greg is at Wally Wabash. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? You can join the conversation by registering the post at D3Boards.com. Also, you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music is powered to by DJ Mentos. M-E-N-T-O-S. Look that guy up on Spotify. Uh, You can also find them on DJMentos.com. we use a number of his tracks in the course of this podcast. Thanks to Kevin Bullis. Thanks to my co-host, Greg Thomas. Thanks to the originator. The originator. The originator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com, Keith McMillan. Somewhere in there, that transitioned from Arnold Schwarzenegger to John McLaughlin of the McLaughlin Group. John's his first name, right? wrong issue one (laughs) issue one your impressions are ridiculous
1: heat dome huh we're in the heat dome it's supposed to it's supposed to break this week so next weekend shouldn't be so bad but uh yeah i think it's like 105 today it's bad if those were miac games i don't know that they would have been allowed to be played there is no humidity here so i think we're even at 105 i think we're well below the the wet bulb index that would prevent games from being played always
0: need a good wet bulb temperature reference on this podcast been a little while
1: hydration is key and pat don't edit out a whole bunch so that you can be right